This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Sunday Night Health Show. I am Maureen McGrath. Joining me on the program tonight is Jesse Miller from Mediated Reality. We're going to talk about the misinformation online, especially as it relates to your health. And also, Donalene Saul, author of Did You Know I Would Miss You, is joining me to talk about her brother's suicide. Next, we are talking about cuffing because it is November and it is time to cuff up. So Dr. Lori Brado joins me. Uh, if you don't know what that is, uh, you'll soon find out. And Amy Color joins me as well. She's an intimacy coach, and we're going to talk about tips for talking sex toys in the bedroom. there's something that just drives me crazy and uh, like almost as much as texting while driving that drives me really crazy Um, but the information that is sometimes put on the internet that is completely false and oftentimes I know it's completely false because I'm in healthcare and I have read the research and I understand the studies and I know what works uh, for patients and what doesn't work. And in fact, there's nothing in my clinical practice that I will offer to patients that would not have a very high percentage of working for them. And also there's oftentimes lots of different treatment options like bladder health, for example, leakage of urine. There's lots of different treatments for leakage of urine and I will offer them uh, all of the different treatment options and and they can use what works and some things will work, other things won't because sometimes leakage of urine is complex. Um, you know, you see things like, um, one example that I can give you is that breech babies. Uh, there's a very small percentage of babies that are breached, so their head isn't down. And so there's like... 50 different ways on the internet that'll tell you to do this, do that, smell this, hang upside down, and your baby will turn. And it's not the case. Only a cephalic version um, has been demonstrated to prove that your baby will turn. So there's so much, and yet people these days are going to the internet for medical information, and most of it is wrong. And joining me on the line is Jesse Miller of Mediated Reality, and we're going to talk about this subject because I think it's really important, and I think we need to regulate this industry because most often those influencers online are just selling you something okay so be aware hello jesse how are you (laughs) maureen how are you i'm good thanks for joining me thank you for having me oh it's great you know i is i found a kindred spirit here in you (laughs) this is something that has touched a nerve with you as well and thank you for sending me all of those articles no, not a worry. And I love the fact that you know, when we discuss social media and how it's used, um, there are so many silos that we can fit into now. And obviously, health and wellness fits into that space because you have a large audience of people to bounce ideas off of. Absolutely. But my issue is, um, you know, first of all, we know that there's a large majority of health news that is shared on Facebook that is fake or misleading. My biggest thing is that there's a lot of people who don't have a medical background who are marketers, actually, and who are selling products or giving advice to patients or, you know, people. Um, They're when they don't have the full picture, you know, they, they take it out of context. They're giving incorrect information or they're sharing their own personal stories that are misleading for patients. And this can be very dangerous. 
Very much so. And uh, when we look at this idea of marketing and social media, we're going to go to this kind of comfort term of influencer. Um, what's really given social media a lot of clout in the past five years is this ability for anyone to really garner an audience based on how they're motivating individuals, how they're sharing their stories, whether it be of their own uh, overcoming of adversity. Um, but in that kind of space where we have these marketers who are grabbing onto almost uh, snake oil sales ideas, that you can target individuals so well with these technologies that they do become somewhat gospel in the way that they can not only target individuals with misinformation, but at the same time, very much kind of create a niche market where their products seem like the best thing that has ever come out of, the, out of any space, um, really negating the value of really good research. Exactly. Um, and one of the best examples probably is Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop. Um, she has the capacity to reach millions and millions of women. Uh, and, you know, at one time she was offering Jade A, and steaming your vagina and all of these other treatments that are not necessary and do not work and are useless, but they are expensive. Because she's a celebrity and has that status, uh, she's able to influence um, people. But we see it on smaller levels too. It's my understanding that you only need ten to 20,000 followers for a company to look at you and say, hey, I want you to market my product and I want you to write about it. Yeah, and, and to that space, too, it's very easy for some of these individuals to purchase um, followers so that brands will look at them and think that they have a larger audience. And what what's interesting in that juxtaposition is that people who look at influencers or individuals online who have maybe 17,000 followers, if they're not doing their due diligence to figure out what that group is and why somebody's paying attention, it could be one of these individuals who's purchased a large amount of followers or they've purchased a an account that allows them to have a great audience. And then they can pivot that and then say, because I have an audience now, these brands should be paying attention to me. Um, and that's where some of these really big misnomers of what a person's verifiability looks like. Right. And they're not even medical. They're not even healthcare professionals, which is what goats me. Um, I had this company come to me and they have this device that's meant to be inserted into the woman's vagina. It's for leakage of urine, has a red light on the end. It does not work. I said, I'm not having any associate. No, I cannot put my name to that product. <laughs> but so many women, come to my office afterward, they've used the product. Of course, it hasn't worked. They've paid $500 for it. And, you know, this happens all the time. It's a, it's a device type of snake oil. But Jesse, I'm going to ask you to hang on the line because uh, I want to talk about some of the examples and then what people can do about it. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Jesse Miller of Mediated Reality is on the line talking to me about some of the misinformation that we see online. Jesse, thanks for hanging on the line. Oh, not a worry at all. So, um, you know, we're, we know about Goop and we know about Facebook and we know about Instagram and about all the followers, but also there are times when we see misinformation from credible places like, or credible media outlets like NPR, the Huffington Post, Daily Mail, New Scientist, CNN, <laughs> and more. Um, in fact, some have been found to be uh, misleading. Uh, certain research that has been done has been found to be misleading or exaggerated or taken out of out of context. So we see this in news outlets as well. Well, very much so. And I mean, that goes to a bit of the plight of journalism. Um, traditional journalism had a lot of individuals doing vetting and background on content. Um, now it seems that the stories that are going to go out there sometimes get positioned for a uh, good positioning on uh, a website later on. 
But uh, in 2018, I mean, there was over almost 100 popular health articles that were audited, and a a large amount of them were very much not in good sound science. And uh, within that, the top 10 shared articles, um, almost three quarters of them were either misleading or included some kind of false information that should have either been more properly explained for the layperson or uh, almost... uh, uh, I would say maybe just address in a different way to really educate as opposed to maybe fear. Right. And, you know, one of the words that I see online constantly is, and I, and I was at a party the other night, <laughs> and uh, the words were used there by women also, and it's the word natural or naturally. And so uh, recently I was reading an article um, by, a, by an influencer, and how can I turn my breech baby naturally? So you're listening to somebody who has no medical background. The information is incorrect in the article. It says that you shouldn't try these techniques until after 34 weeks, when in fact, babies are not um, deemed uh, breach until 35 weeks. Um, and so they give you these natural ideas that have absolutely no science behind them and, and in fact have not been proven to work, like moxibustion and lying on your back with your hips slightly elevated, listening to music, bringing the music down to your lower part of your stomach. And so um, when there is uh, something that actually does work, which is a, um, a cephalic version that is a procedure done in the hospital, and it, it may work and it may not work. Um, but this whole idea that natural is, and I, I said to these women the other night who were asking me about bioidentical hormone therapy, because they said it's natural. And I said, natural only means not tested. <laughs> and so that word is put out on the internet um, quite a bit, and people are drawn to that. Well, it's interesting you say that because uh, I like looking at the juxtaposition of traditional media where we would be forced to watch commercials and then you'd have some oversight. And anytime I think about the way that people word things in commercials, you might see an asterisk underneath saying these products haven't been tested or we can't uh, verify this based on a government uh, uh, health authority kind of verifying those claims. Mm -hmm. It is significantly easier to get misinformation and products into people's hands where you have no idea where the source uh, of the product is from, whether or not the claims themselves have either been reviewed by an organization that would really look for the best interests of the individuals. Um, I don't know if you have your your heroes on social media, but I have one of mine, and it's Dr. Jen Gunter. Mm -hmm. And even though I'm not really in the need of a lot of the work that she really focuses on because of the way she has positioned herself as an OBGYN, um, she is a, a... an active advocate to not only take misinformation, but challenge it and challenge it aggressively. So to that point of that natural piece where an individual might say something at a party, um, what she sees online to her 270,000 almost followers is when she sees a product that's really being pushed towards women or individuals who are maybe more prone to falling for something, she's the first one to jump into it. What I encourage people to think about there is look for your really good, maybe research-based individuals and then compare and contrast some information, but never negate the value of good information from people who really do put their life effort into that. Absolutely. She certainly calls out uh, most, you know, all the misinformation that's out there online, especially as it relates to women's health. And there's so much that uh, women, if you will, fall for. I mean, it's a it's a ship that you, you know, one person cannot turn around. Um, you know, it's it could, because it's rampant. It, it is everywhere. And, and my thing is that uh, they have no medical background, no nursing background, no health educator background, um, you know, and they are dispelling, I mean, they are uh, 
actually putting out all of these myths and from, well, of course, as we all know, vaccinations to um, hormone therapy for um, you know women with perimenopause or, the, or they're sharing their own stories or their, but bottom line is they're all selling products. This is going to take care of your issue. Just, you know, send me $500. Um, so it is, it's so common. And so that, that natural word um, really, um, you know, people think it's safe and it's not safe. No, and, and again, you have to be very careful on how you're searching any information that you think you're looking for alternatives to maybe, quote-unquote, traditional medicine. But the reality within that wording is that those keywords are very much highlighted and directed towards individuals who might be looking for a product that way. And so if you've ever been sitting there and you met, talk to somebody and then a couple hours later you're getting an advertisement on YouTube or on your phone, um, our devices are intuitive to our needs. And if you're feeling like you're looking for a product in some way, shape, or form to address anything within your, your, your physical body or your, your mental health, um, the second that you start talking, searching, doing some, some work online, you start to find that those products may be tailored and directed towards you. And there are people out there who are weaponizing that social media to very much target individuals who might be a bit more prone to purchase something because they, they've seen a really a large amount of people highlighting how good it is. And in that, again, we have no idea who those people are. Exactly. So it's one of those media literacies that I'm always advocating for and saying, you, you want to find something interesting, talk to a medical health care professional about it, and then compare and contrast what you, your options are. Exactly. I remember seeing this one. This is one of the, um, you know, real, real head scratcher articles. And I saw this shared because, and I was disappointed, <laughs> but uh, maybe I fell for it immediately. One piece of bacon, uh, uh, declaring that bacon was as harmful as cigarettes. I remember that. That was shared close to 600,000 times. And, wow. and then also um, what was shared was stem cell treatment could be a game changer for MS patients. That was shared over half a million times as well. And we get all of these things. There's a lot of GoFundMes happening lately and a lot of people who have cancer and they, they want to go the natural treatment and they're raising money for these natural treatments. And I, and I am hearing some people say they don't want to give the money because they don't believe. You know, there's a real divide. There's some people who believe in, you know, traditional medicine and with evidence and research-based and, and others who, um, you know, feel like they're buying pipe dreams when they're going to a different country, um, you know, for a cure for, for their cancer. Um, you know, so it can be very, very dangerous. Uh, the, what I was talking about the other night to women, a woman happened to say to me at the cocktail party, um, what do you think of, um, bioidentical hormones? And so I just spilled it all out (laughs) for her. And she said, well, it's natural. I'm going to go to my naturopath tomorrow and I'm going to get bioidentical hormones. Not after she spoke to me. <laughs> She's not. No. She's actually going to go to a menopause specialist. Um, and, uh, and she felt very good about it. And, you know, her um, husband said, thank you so much for, you know, giving her this information because I, it was going to cost three times as much. I said, anybody that's selling products that you're, you know, is diagnosing you and selling products, you know, that's a conflict and it's going to cost you three times as much. Why not get hormone therapy or, you know, estrogen therapy that is, um, you know, doesn't, 
that bypasses the liver, that is safer for you, that's been tested, this kind of thing. So we, we talked for, you know, an hour and other women were coming around and, and listening. Um, so it's, you know, it's difficult to, you know, fight up against it constantly. What I think, Marie, what I think is interesting is you're an advocate in a space where you see somebody and you really want to give them the best information possible. With some of these social media influencers, you have to remember that some of these advertisements that come up or when they're paid to advocate, advocate for a product, they can be paid anywhere between a thousand to to maybe a thousand dollars per every hundred thousand followers that get engaged. And in that, when you see these kind of testimonials or Instagram stories, um, I think there's a there's a candor that you would deliver at a party that's very similar to the way that people are watching this on their phone. And when we factor in isolationism or individuals who aren't comfortable talking to their friends about something, um, that person who they see on the phone who really does look just like them, feels like them, is really connecting with them. Um, that's where uh, Instagram even then had to take a step about three years ago where they now had to highlight what are paid advertisements and how those influencers are getting monetarily uh, remunerated for their commentary about things. And so we're starting to see some really good shifts. Pinterest has put in uh, blocks against anti-vaccination uh, posts. And then we see Instagram taking this piece and putting uh, a forced advertisement quote, even though it does look like this influencer who is goop prone to really kind of open up a dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it goes back to your holistic piece of just speaking up to somebody at a party and saying, this is not going to be good for you. More and more, we do need people just kind of diving in and asking as much as I might think that this is the perfect thing that's going to help me. Um, what are, what else is there available and what, what's my actual doctor saying? Absolutely. Well, Jesse, I really appreciate um, your coming on the program and talking about this. I think it's a really important subject that's only going to go viral. <laughs> it's only going to get worse and yeah. worse. And so it's really important for people to just, you know, understand that there's no miracle cures and um, and take what you see on Instagram, Pinterest with a grain of salt, especially when it comes to your health. Thank you. And make sure that you're buying products online that are, are reviewed by a government because we're getting a lot of products that are coming in through purchasing through third parties where you, if you don't know the source, you're putting yourself into a very scary position. Absolutely. Jesse Miller, Mediated Reality. We'll have you back and talk more about this. Thank you, Maureen. National Suicide Awareness Day is November 23rd. Tw- November 23rd. 75% of deaths by suicide are men. Globally, a man dies by suicide every minute. If you have any issues around this, if you need help, you can call 310-6789. There's also a kids helpline, 1-800-668-6868. There are a number of um, other lines, other numbers as well in the U.S. and Canada. The U.S. 1-800-273-8255. And in Ontario, you can text 456 45 Donnaline Saul joins me on the line. She's the author of Did You Know I Would Miss You? She shares her heart-rendering story about the death by suicide of her brother. Good evening, Donnaline. Hello, Maureen. How are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Uh, for honored to be on your show again. Oh, I love it. You're so sweet. Um, thank you so much for um, writing that beautiful book and also sharing your story. You lost your brother? Yes, I did. Several years ago. Um, yeah, it's been a while now. But it doesn't um, take away the pain, I imagine. 
It well, it, the pain diminishes over time, uh, mm-hmm. but you're never you never really you don't really forget it. It it does change you that kind of loss, and uh, it does remain with you. But for sure, it it sort of um, melts into um, I don't know more into love and a feeling of yeah. It, the, the the kind of all a lot of the pain goes. Fortunately, at least that's been my experience. It's been he died in 2004. It's uh, 15, <laughs> 15 years 15 ago. Years, yes. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, every once in a while, maybe I'll get a little, you know, feel a little weepy about it. But generally speaking, I um, I just feel love for him, and I feel, you know, connected to him. And I've done a lot of healing around it, and I didn't deny it at the time. So it's not it it has it's it hasn't sort of remained as something really terrible in my heart but know? suicide survivors and it's not just the maybe a sister or mother but it's also friends and workers and yeah. all sorts of people what what yeah. is that shock for suicide survivors like how did it impact you at the time well for me i remember uh you know describe just feeling like i was i was out of my body you know as if i was just going through the emotions but mm-hmm. not wasn't really present i um you know i felt a lot of different things that sometimes i felt weepy other times i was sort of snapping at my sister you know we were trying to prepare memorial and felt kind of crazy and my sleep was sort of disturbed so i i uh, got some counseling you know almost right away uh, and it lasted for, you know, I would say over a number of weeks. Like when we prepared for my brother's memorial service, all, you know, we were both in shock and our mother was in shock. Uh, so, you know, a lot of the, we forgot sort of a lot of the events that happened at that particular time. Like the preparation for the memorial, I don't remember at all. The memorial itself, I do remember. But uh, Did you know that your brother was experiencing depression or had suicidal Thoughts or ideation? I didn't. I had no thought. I, I didn't think he had suicidal ideation. Definitely did not share any of that. He he had a, a difficult life. He was uh, he lived kind of in a sort of isolated. He lived up in a hundred mile house in uh, central BC. He was um, an independent logger, and uh, you know throughout a lot of his adult life, he worked in sort of odd jobs. I mean, he always worked really hard very conscientious but it's often struggled financially um so i yeah there was his life was a struggle i did know that but not uh i did not have any sense that he would end his life right i think a lot of people it comes uh, by surprise to a lot of people um so i don't want to forget to mention that you're offering your book which is called did you did you know i would miss you for free on amazon.com from november 17th to the 21st yeah, that's from today, you know, right today until yep. Thursday. Okay, that's lovely of you. Why do you feel it's so important to share your story of your brother? Uh, well, I mean, from a personal point of view, um, I, I wanted want to share, um, you know, sort of speak about speak about who he was apart from that final act. You know, the courageous guy he was, the funny, art, artistic, uh, creative person that he was, his courage, his you know, capability. And also from my own point of view, I think I, I felt like I wanted to share the journey of, of healing and recovery. Right. 
And what would you say to somebody out there who is just um, maybe has just maybe lost somebody from death by suicide um, or worries about somebody who may consider taking their life or but somebody's gone through it and it's fresh? Uh, what would you recommend to them? I think the very first thing is to have like a lot of compassion for yourself and and for those around you, you know, family members who are feeling that that terrible grief and shock. Um, I don't know things like uh, so. I mean, there's often a lot of details that you have to attend to in the immediate aftermath, like just you know the death certificate and talking to the coroner, maybe. Or, but really, getting to that suicide piece. I mean, some people die yeah. by natural causes or a heart yes, attack yes. suddenly, or they have a car accident. But when somebody takes their own life at their own hand. Um, yeah. You mentioned in your book that you felt relieved when you first heard of your brother's suicide, and then you felt tremendous shame and guilt. Yeah. Can you speak about I mean, that? Yeah, as I as I described to you, Maureen, when I you know he he I knew that he struggled. I knew that it was tough for him. He was getting older. He was you know in his mid fifties, um, and I I worried about how he was going to manage. Oh, um, I see. So you know, in a way, it's you know, I, I felt relief. I thought, well, he's, he's not he's not struggling anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I've certainly heard that. Yeah. But at the cer- same time, uh, you know, to feel relieved about somebody killing themselves. I mean, I mean, how awful. You know? I mean, I think That's these funny. are. Well, I'm I'm glad you shared that because somebody yeah. else might feel that as well if they've worried about their brother. Donnelene, thank you so much for joining me on the oh, program you're so tonight. Welcome, Maureen. Oh, yeah. Thank you're, you so much. You're so sweet. And don't forget to download for free her amazing book, Did You Know I Would Miss You? That's Donnelene Saul. It's on Amazon. Amazon.com. That's right. Thank yeah. you so much, Donnelene. You got questions? She's got answers. The nurse is in for Nurse Talk. And this is the Sunday Night Health Show. And uh, since it's ho- getting a little bit colder, we're coming up on those Christmas holidays. Uh, Valentine's Day is uh, around the corner after we turn the new year. And what do we need to do? We may need to cuff. Did you know this is cuffing season? Well, there's none other than Dr. Lori Brado, who's the director of UBC Sexual Health Laboratory. She has a research chair in women's sexual health. And she is a professor of the Department of OBGYN at UBC and executive director of the Women's Health Research Institute. And she is joining me on the line to talk about cuffing season. Good evening, Dr. Brado. Hi, Maureen. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. This is a fun topic. And, you know, a lot of people, when I mentioned it to Jill Bennett this morning and other people, they're like, what's cuffing season? Sounds like a BDSM play. But no, (laughs) it's not. No, no, it's not. Yeah, so cuffing season, as, as you mentioned in your opener, Maureen, is this phenomenon where people have a greater likelihood of getting into a relationship, a serious uh, monogamous relationship during the fall and winter months. And as you said, it straddles the holidays, it straddles Valentine's Day. um, And then when the snow melts and spring has arrived, um, the cuffing uh, seems to come to an end. 
So this is the time of year that people solidify their relationship. They make, uh, they may be seeing a number of different people, and then they decide to make somebody exclusive. Uh, in part, as you mentioned, that uh, you know it's nice to go to those holiday parties with somebody hanging on your arm. Better to have mm-hmm. somebody than no one. And uh, mm-hmm. I was at a party recently, and I was checking out a few of these couples. <laughs> <laughs> and I could tell the ones who were cuffing <laughs> versus the ones who weren't. And more so like that it would be uh, the woman was more into him than he was or vice versa. So there's a little bit of danger in cuffing season. Like it, it all sounds fun and great, but what are some of the dangers of cuffing season? Well, I guess, you know, one of the immediate dangers is how does one person know that the other person is serious about wanting this uh, relationship, that, that, that this is now going to be a transition from maybe casual dating or hooking up uh, to wanting to be exclusive. And so um, to the other partner, it may give the illusion that this is a real transition. They're now heading down a certain road of more seriousness. Um, and without the conversation, without the clear communication, and you and I both know well that um, sex and relationships is something that a lot of us really struggle with. We don't have those open and honest and heart-to-heart conversations, and instead we tend to do a lot of mind reading. So if, if you don't know that this is happening, you don't know to ask the other person what their intention is. And, uh, and so then, again, if it truly is toughing, you won't know until the springtime comes and the other person ends the relationship. Right. And, you know, I don't want to say that women would be more astute in this um, versus men, but, you know, I, I could see that um, maybe more men would be taken advantage of here. Um, you did a, a great interview in Cosmopolitan and you talked about, you know, sometimes people suddenly find themselves longing to be mm-hmm. in a relationship that they typically aren't. They're normally happy with being single. And so right. people can get really hurt with this. Yes. Yeah, and you know, unfortunately, there hasn't been any research on this phenomenon. It's it's surprising because the research has tended to keep up with these near uh, relationship trends and phenomena. We know a lot about other types of relationships, but cuffing is one thing. There actually hasn't been a single published article on this. So things such as who are the kinds of people who are more likely to cuff. If uh, if that's a verb, if we can make it into a verb, we can. Um, (laughs) We just did. What are the signs of cuffing? What are the dangers? How to how to prevent um, cuffing or being caught off guard if you're in a relationship with someone who's tough? Um, we actually don't know those things. So what we do know is um, that pe- people talk about this experience, certainly social media um, and the popular media. You mentioned the Cosmopolitan piece that came out last week um, has brought some attention to this. And really interestingly, in the Cosmo piece are some of the personal experiences of you know, how to, how to, what to know about if, if uh, you find yourself potentially in a cuffing relationship, some, sort of some of the, the learning signs to look out for. Right. And, you know, if one has cuffed before, does that make them more likely to cuff again? <laughs> you know, th- this person yeah. has a history of cuffing. So, right. you know, um, is it, uh, you know, is that something we want to share with right. um, a potential short term partner uh, to right. say, well, typically in the winter, I like to, you know, be with somebody so that I can 
you know, and it, and you know, is it a self-esteem issue? Is it that somebody yeah. feels uncomfortable going to a party by themselves? Uh, yeah. They have to have somebody on their arm. Um, right. And I think we need to keep in mind that um, both members of the couple might have that same intention. So it may be that both individuals actually want this short-term, stable, monogamous relationship. Both have intentions of ending the relationship when the snow melts. And so, you know, I think in that sort of a situation, there's potentially less harm that comes to either of them because they, they're going in with the same intentions. But again, it you know, we can't um, overemphasize the importance of communication about it. So if we can be open and honest about what our intentions are in relationships and say, hey, listen, you know, my, my feelings are authentic, um, but keep in mind that I have a tendency of doing this over the fall and winter months, and I can't make any guarantees that we're going to be seeing anything past the spring. But if your goal is to go to the company Christmas party with somebody and uh, maybe get a nice gift at Valentine's Day, uh, mm-hmm. do you risk um, being uncuffed, right. <laughs> consciously yes. uncuffing, uh, mm-hmm. if you disclose, if you you know share that information with some somebody? And you mentioned that it could be two people who are right. cuffing together. They both have that. And I think, you know, is, is that a sign of, of lonely hearts? And do people end up, and, and as you and I both know, we work with uh, lots of couples in sexless marriages, mm-hmm. um, and especially around low sexual desire when that's the culture. Yeah. And, um, you know, is this the start of um, the, you know, marriage gone wrong right from the beginning? Because if two people yeah. are vulnerable. Um, That's exactly right. The other thing, Maureen, is, you know, we know that during the winter months, um, people who are prone to depression or in particular seasonal affective disorder, that's the tendency to have low mood or even a full-blown depression during the winter, colder months uh, when the days are shorter and there's more darkness. And so because depression is associated with loneliness, it could be that this puffing phenomenon is directly a result of people just having lower moods during that period of time. So, uh, again, the importance of, of clear communication and also for a person to know uh, what are my own intentions behind this? Is this because I'm, I'm feeling lonely and I'm needing to fill that gap that I want to be in a relationship? Um, or is there something else that's going on here? Right, exactly. You make a lot of great points. And, uh, you know, and it's a really important subject, um, Mm -hmm. this cuffing. And I think we do need some science behind it. So, um, yeah, I would support that research, Dr. Brado. Good. Well, hopefully one of your listeners will take this up. I think uh, would make for, for a great study is just to follow who are the people that are in these relationships and what happens to them over time. I think it would be. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining me on the line. I really appreciate it, Dr. Brado. Always a pleasure, Marie. All right. And then people can go to this online, this cosmopolitan.com, um, to read this article about yeah, uh, cuffing. Ex- exactly. It's uh, it's the title is An Essential Guide to Cuffing Seasons, but don't let the title fool you. It's not actually promoting cuffing. It's more just raising some awareness about it. Right, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Brado. Always a pleasure to have you on. Take care, Maureen. It's time for The Bedroom Bulletin. This is the Sunday Night Health Show, and I am Maureen McGrath, and uh, just finished up a quick little Facebook Live there. Um, And if you missed it, you missed it, because I was actually showing you what sex toys I was going to be talking about with the infamous Amy Culler. She is an intimacy coach, and she joins me on the line to talk about how to talk to your partner about bringing sex toys into the bedroom. Good evening, Amy. 
Hello, Maureen. Glad to be here. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Um, now, uh, if anyone's ever listened to the show before, I have this friend who's a declutterer and she helps me and we kind of compartmentalize my house, segment it off, <laughs> and we deal with different areas, the kitchen. And so last week she was in um, and I said, we're going to do the bathrooms. And uh, I have four bathrooms. Anyway, she said, <laughs> um, and I said, now, Mary, you're going to find some sex toys in these drawers that aren't mine. (laughs) She said, you sound like my 16-year-old who says, that pot is not mine, or is that, nor is that bong. (laughs) Anyway, and I said, no, no, it's true, because I am given so many sex toys um, to try out, and some of them, some don't work, and I might throw them in a drawer, whatever. Anyway, um, it's it's kind of a bit of a secret thing, maybe for some people that they um, maybe have never used a a sex toy themselves. uh, or they want to spice up their relationship and they think, you know, will a sex toy um, have a negative impact on my relationship or how will my partner feel about that? So what do you suggest for those who want to make things just a little bit more exciting in the bedroom I, with devices? I, I suggest a toy because a toy in the name of itself says, let's have fun. <laughs> sure does. Fun. And if you don't actually have a toy, then all you're relying upon is a very unpredictable tool. So <laughs> I think it's always fun to have something sitting on the bench that you can bring into the game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there is that unreliable tool. And, um, you know, we, I, I talk a lot about that. And that's related to health. For a lot of guys that have erectile dysfunction, whether they're viewing porn too much or their blood isn't circulating well enough because of diabetes type 2 or high cholesterol, what sedentary lifestyle. Um, so for this may actually help um, maybe some of those relationships as well, make it a little bit more exciting, would you say? Absolutely. It takes the pressure off. If it goes too fast or if it takes her longer, then you've got something else to, to use upon. I myself like to recommend things that don't necessarily vibrate or have bells and whistles um, because sometimes those, those can be distracting. Oh, really? Everybody. Yeah. You know, it's like they suddenly feel like they have a power tool. (laughs) Right. Or a cake mixer, like what was found in my bathroom drawer the other day, um, and which I use at presentations. Now, um, so would you say things like, um, you know, silver balls that were popularized by um, the book Fifty Shades of Grey, something like that to insert before? I like one of those glass dildos or one of those glass toys that that people can use sometimes they've got a ball on the end or something because then it can have that penetrative feeling if that's what's needed and not showing up in the moment so to speak um right (laughs) and it gives you extra options you can use a mouth and a toy and you know sometimes people forget that those toys can also be used on him Oh, of course. Absolutely. The couple's vibrator is a great example um, that's a mutual and um, a mutual type of toy developed by an unemployed engineer. Um, His wife said, go down to the basement and discover something and discover he did. Uh, And he discovered the couple's vibe, which is inserted in and it stimulates the penis and the G spot and the clitoris as well. So um, there certainly are. But how do you talk? How would you suggest... Uh, people speak to their partners because oftentimes 
people don't speak to their partners about sex or what they enjoy or what's pleasurable. So what would you say to somebody who's nervous, who says, you know, I'm afraid he's going to leave me if I want to bring the womanizer into the bedroom, for example, which is the best sex toy out there. But anyway, and it, vi- it does vibrate. Sex toy. <laughs> it is a fantastic sex toy, but I consider that more of a solo toy. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, or something he can use on her, but it's not necessarily the couple's toy. But I think it's always fun to say, you know what, let's have more fun. Let's make Thursdays about discovery. Pick a day of the week and make that day of the week about discovery. Let's try something new every Thursday so that we don't get bored over the next 20 years. I think that's the best suggestion ever. But if they've never had sex toys in their relationship before and one is nervous about bringing it up with the other, because a lot of guys are intimidated by by sex toys, let's face it. And that's also why I say don't get the ones with the bells and whistles. (laughs) <laughs> uh, now, you know, a lot of women actually will say, you know, it, you know, a woman requires clitoral stimulation. Most women, about 70 percent, require clitoral stimulation um, to experience orgasm. And right. and they'll say, you know, it takes their partner. It takes them a long time. Sometimes it takes women, you know, up to 20 minutes and they feel badly and they feel guilty. And then they're feeling they're thinking about this. And and so they have utilized the womanizer for for that purpose. You know, they've oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah. That, and that totally makes sense. Just like, you know, when the, the magic wand. And that's also it. You're taking the pressure off of him and you're adding more fun and curiosity to it. So if you say to your partner, let's have more fun, let's try different things, ooh, let's try this for me, and let's try this next week, we'll try this for you. Well, would you say let's try, um, you know, handcuffs or uh, a dildo or a glass, a dildo, what you suggested? Would you actually name it? I would. Okay. I would. That way you're getting something for you and something for him. Because if you wanted a, a, a dildo or a vibrator and he came home with cuffs, you'd be terribly disappointed. Well, partially. <laughs> well, it's even kind of bringing it up. I, I find people are, you yeah. know, that men will think, no. well, why do you want, what's wrong with me? Why are, Am oh I not good God. enough? Am I not adequate that you need to bring uh, something else in? She can say the same thing about porn, but that's another story. That so is. the way that you would bring it up with your partner is to say, uh, it's, it's, what I've noticed is that couples who have wild, fantastic sex lives have a drawer full of toys. And those couples who don't have wild, fantastic sex lives, who are feeling a little bit stuck, don't have any toys at all. And that's one of the things. It's like we've got to have more than just these things. You wouldn't go into the kitchen and just have that one spatula and never use anything else. Unless you hate to cook. <laughs> like me. Even if you hate to cook, I'll bet you still have more than one spatula in the drawer. I probably do, but it's been decluttered out, let me tell you. Everything is gone. <laughs> Good for you, um, including the uh, blender sex toy. Yes. No, I kept that one. Um, yeah, so in terms of, um, you know, how would you guide somebody in terms of, you know, investigating some of these? Is that something you would suggest couples do together? Um, you know, go online, check check these out or no, go I to a store? If somebody's intimidated. I also think it's really fun to show up and surprise your partner. That's why I suggest a game night once a week, mm-hmm. which means we're going to do it differently. We're going to go in and, and really explore and have more fun. And that way she can go, I got something for me for, for my game night. And he can go, oh, I got something for me for my game night. That, you don't, that way you might be a little bit shy to pick it together. It might be more fun to pick it together. I would think that might be different for every couple. 
And, and by the way, I've got this cake mixer that I brought to my party. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it does good frosting. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think it's important to remind your partner, your lover, that a sex toy is not a replacement for for their skill, their intimacy, their love, their touch. And this should be viewed as a gift to the sex life uh, versus a threat. What would you say about that? Absolutely. I do have couples who've been like that, and I made sure that they left my office with a toy. And even when they got home, she called me and said that he, he told her that if he, since she has him in her life, a man in her life, and home was far, far away from here, that since she had a man in her life, she shouldn't have to have a toy. And I told her to ask him which man she had. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because her, your sexuality is her appetite. Absolutely. So they, if they have different appetites and she wants more than him, then this will actually help her. Exactly. And there's a stigma around sex toys. Um, and that stigma is that they can replace a partner. It really has to do with a person's self-confidence, sexual self-esteem, vulnerability. Um, and, you know, the it, it, sex toys can only enhance uh, lovemaking. Um, and sex is such a touchy subject for couples, even if they are talking about it. Um, but, you know, it's always good to use positive affirmation. Like it's not just about the sex toy. Would you agree that it's more also about um, framing your needs and desires with positive affirmations that can help your partner feel super supported as they try, um, you know, a new product uh, in their bedroom, a new device. The irresistible kissable, for example, is, is one that I've been sent recently. Um, it's by Shots. And S-H-O-T-S, it's a soft pressure or wave stimulation, touchless clitoral stimulation device. I haven't tried it yet, so I can't, <laughs> I can't say, but I will. Um, but it's also important to, um, to affirm your partner and let them know that this is something that would be super hot, perhaps, to add, to add in and, and make your partner feel excited about this experimentation. Yeah, I think that's the thing is finding the pleasure and the joy and bringing new sensations to your partner. And I think that's what we're really looking for is new sensations. What I say is you're looking for somebody who can take you on an erotic adventure. Well, isn't it fun to like, ooh, a new toy. It's like exactly a new, a new erotic sensation. And that's what we should be looking for is, is to do that for each other. Instead of just saying, do that for me, do that for each other. Right. And, you know, um, my declutterer found in the drawer uh, a, a fairly <laughs> frightening, phallic, monster dildo. It was actually a vibrator. It was massive. And and I said, like this. this <laughs> and I pulled that out. That was sent to me, but didn't actually work um, when, when you plugged it in. It was like a $300 thing. Um, but there was a total turnoff anyway. It was this gigantic black and gold, um, you know, it, it's, it wasn't an appealing type of sex toy. So if you're just dipping your toes into the sex toy pool, you, you might want to be a little low key at the beginning. And that probably, maybe a lot of people have that, that visual that that's what it's going to be, that it's going to be this, um, you know, gigantic vibrating, uh, device that, um, you know, can be extremely intimidating when there's lots of small um, sex toys that, as you say, don't vibrate. Right. 
Get something simple. Start simple and have fun. Exactly. And what from couples that you have in your practice um, who have you have guided to bring sex toys in to make it more fun? What what's been their response? Oh, they're so happy. They're so happy to have something extra and to be given it and given permission to have it. And it's like, ooh, let's try that. And I especially started when I started suggesting sex toys. It really was for men who had erection challenges or they were, they were finishing too quickly. And this way they had some extra security in their pocket. Absolutely. You know? Yes. So they feel more confident. And I used to you know, they, they would feel embarrassed to have it in their pocket. And I would say, this lets people know that you're prepared to be a great lover. Nothing more important. Yeah, I want guys to feel confident when they go, look, I've got backup. I mean, it it brings all kinds of options to the table, so they don't have to feel embarrassed to pull it out. It just makes them feel fun and kinky. (laughs) It certainly does and builds that confidence. Thank you so much, Amy Culler. And if people want to book an appointment with you, and uh, how would they do that? Check me out at amyculler.com. Wonderful. Amy Culler, the amazing intimacy coach. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.